0: thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, In today's episode, you are going to learn some great information about postpartum from Nicole Macauka, the head of education and well-being at Loom. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 158. Thank you for being here with me today. So this is a really great conversation that we have with Nicole McAlka. Nicole is the head of education and well-being at Loom and Loom is an online platform for sexual and reproductive well-being. She is also a licensed marriage and family therapist and an expert in early childhood development. In her role as head of education, Nicole leads Loom's curriculum development for its digital platform, helping to create cutting edge education across a spectrum of women's sexual and reproductive health experiences. She assumed this role after developing the original postpartum curriculum for Loom's brick and mortar space in Los Angeles, where she taught and supported thousands of new parents and their babies. With over a decade of professional experience, Nicole is committed to serving women, children, and parents in an educational and therapeutic capacity. She has written for Goop. She has created content and been featured on Ergo Baby. She served as a panelist for Bumble and Wellset. She has spoken at large corporations like Sweetgreen, The Wing, various academic institutions, and she lives in Los Angeles with her husband, son, and dog. So as I said in this episode, you're going to learn a ton of great information that's really going to be useful for you to help you navigate the postpartum period, including some postpartum issues that all women need to be aware of and what you can do about them. Some common postpartum emotions that parents experience and how to manage them. I was actually surprised at one of them. And then things that women can do while pregnant to prepare for the postpartum period. I love the concept of what she talks about, something called the collective care map, and then much, much more. All right, now, before we get into the episode, if you love my style here on the podcast and you want a phenomenal go-at-your-own-pace childbirth education class that you can do from the comfort of your own home and also comes with amazing support, then do check out my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. It is the class to get you calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. And the thing about the class that is different than the podcast is that everything is very organized to build upon itself and it really takes you through a specific order so that you come out on the other side of the material really ready and really prepared for your birth. You know, it's not of course just a bunch of like slapped together material. <laughs> the order, the content, the slides, everything is very very intentional to help Uh, You get ready for your birth in a way that feels easy, in a way that feels good, in a way that really feels enjoyable. And it comes with the added benefit of a private Facebook community where I do Q and A's, or you can ask me more questions, or you can connect with other like-minded mamas. So do check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. Oh, and I forgot to add, it also comes with lifetime access. So you take it once and you have it for all of your future pregnancies. So again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, let's get into the conversation with Nicole Makalka. Nicole I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today we are talking about all things postpartum something that is a really important topic and I get a lot of questions about so I'm excited to dive into the conversation welcome
1: thank you I'm excited to be here
0: okay so why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your work and your family if you'd like
1: Sure. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm the head of education and well-being at Loom. I'm also a parent to a seven-year-old, and um, I live with my husband and my kid and my dog in LA.
0: All righty. So we are, we are on opposite coast. I'm all the way in Virginia. So <laughs> all right. And we'll talk a little bit about um, Loom towards the end. Sure. But first, I wanted to talk about um, the postpartum things. And actually, even before we get into that, when I have guests come on, I like my listeners to know what education and training and background they've had to do the work that they do. So tell us about what education and training you've had to do your work.
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, so I have my master's in psychology, and I did all of my pre-licensure training, which is you know, collecting clinical hours working with a specific population for my marriage and family therapy license, working with children, young adults and families and something called therapeutic day schools. So they are schools that are um, supporting kids starting at age three, and all the way through 22. And um, the schools that I particularly worked in were with children and their families who have developmental disabilities. Hmm. And so it was like from the moment of diagnoses and maybe the public school system couldn't support that particular child's needs um, all the way through aging out of the program, which is when they were 22.
0: Interesting. So then how did you make the switch to get into postpartum? Because that's a bit different.
1: Yeah, well, you know, like so many clinical careers, it's so nonlinear, like you Mm -hmm. think you're going to do one thing, and then you sort of get inspired. Um, What I realized was, when I started my career, I did not have a child. And I was working with Children, but really, I was working with the whole family system, and I'm trained in sort of family systems theory. And so, what I knew is that when one thing changes, everything changes. Mm. And um, I did a sort of thing that not many therapists in the clinic that I was working at were doing, which is whether the families were funded for family therapy or not, I sort of tried to loop them in as much as possible because. it's really important from my perspective. And I started really understanding how sort of parenting impacts your child and Mm. how your child impacts your parenting. And it's this very like closed loop system. And um, I I ended up getting pregnant and realizing that my passion was really working with parents even earlier than I was getting them at the – school that I was working at. And so I didn't start working with those families until three. And I really wanted like the relationship to begin even earlier. Right. And so I started running groups as early as, you know, postpartum, like two, three months postpartum. Uh-huh. And, um, it, the sh- the, the focus shifted from, you know, the, topics being about sort of the developmental delays to just like generally what's happening in the emotional landscape and understanding that, um, we come into parenting with a lot of our own stuff and a lot of, um, our own sort of complex ideas of what becoming a parent feels like. And then there's just a slew of unpredictable events that follow and finding out that your child has a developmental disability is one of them. And so I just kind of widened my landscape and then started building um, more and more and more groups. And it just felt like such an untapped resource. And I was getting requests to run groups like morning, noon, night. Like I remember having a group that would meet at 8.30 PM because wow. people were just like, I need the support, but I can't, I, I work full time and I can't do it during the day. And, right. and so, um, yeah, so it just sort of evolved.
0: Okay. Okay. I always love hearing people's origin stories of yeah. how we come to our work. It often, evolves from personal experience and just, you could never predict the the path and you just sort of follow the breadcrumbs that are left for you.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And it never looks how you think it's going to look.
0: Never, ever, ever, never, ever. So, all right. So let's hop into some things about postpartum. What are... Some of the issues, and I, I like to stick to around two or three that you really think women or families need to be aware of regarding the postpartum period, and then what are things they can do about them?
1: Yeah. Well, I think to start, it's really important to have an understanding of you know some physiological postpartum complications and mm-hmm. what to do about them, um, and you know I always suggest that when people are pregnant, that they start having conversations with their care provider, whoever that provider may be to say, um, I want to practice getting more information about what's to come. And that is a skill that is you know, highly utilized in parenting. And so I always recommend practicing that early
0: on. That is such excellent <laughs> advice because so much during pregnancy. And it's, it's it's great that you tell people to do it because the doctor may not necessarily do it because that's not the way that we're trained. Um, so I think that that is fantastic to tell folks to start a- asking like, hey, what is coming next, including postpartum?
1: Yeah. And it, I'm so happy to hear you say that because and this is a little tangent, but I think it's important for your listeners to hear that from my perspective, the majority of my clients say, I don't want to be a bother. Like I don't want to take, my doctor is so busy. My midwife is so busy. I don't want to take up more time. And I always say like the the key to you having the kind of birth that feels safe for you is your relationship with your provider. 100%. And so if you model like, I am here and I'm being vulnerable. And I'm showing you that I want to know more. I'm not an expert in this, but you are, please give me the information that you have so I can feel more prepared. That is like laying the foundation for your relationship. And then birthing becomes a much safer
0: place. hundred percent. That is such an important point. And I think some of it goes back to even our society and, and, Women or birthing people have a hard time centering themselves and and saying like speaking up for the things that they um, need and there's like a hierarchical relationship like oh this is the doctor and you know I don't want to interrupt them and and things like that but I want everyone to practice like this is this is your body this is your pregnancy take owner ownership of it and it's not being selfish or or, or, you know, you're not being demanding or anything like that. You you're just advocating for the best experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor. This message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and Always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless, classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. And
1: um, and then the other thing that I would say is really understanding sort of postpartum mood disorders Mm -hmm. and the emotional landscape that comes along with it. I, um, you know, as a therapist and as an educator, I have been floored by how much language impacts people's behavior. Mm. And the one thing that I have found, and I kind of like, this is my soapbox, is that when we... As community members, as friends, as support people, say to a birthing person or say to a postpartum person, Oh, that's normal. That actually interrupts, like the way that you're feeling, that baby blues, you feel depressed, you feel anxious, that's totally normal. That actually interrupts their ability to seek help, to seek support. And so I've been really encouraging people to say, It's common. That's a common experience, but that, Doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that just like making these little shifts internally and sort of saying, I shouldn't have to tolerate feeling like at a really low point and also having to take care of a child and then feeling like, oh, it's totally normal. So, like, why, why am I going to complain about it or why am I going to go and seek out help is um, such a detriment to. Your well being, but also your experience.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I often say in the context of aches and pains during pregnancy, like when people say that they're hurting and they have back pain or pelvic pain and things like that, that we often say that it's normal. And I've I've said that we we need to shift that to say it's common, but we don't have to accept that as normal. There are things that we can do about it, like physical therapy or chiropractor or all of those things. And this is another great example, like although it is is common, it doesn't, you don't have to accept that that is how it's going to mm-hmm. be. So that's a really important point. Any other issues or things before we move on to talk about some of those emotions and maybe the postpartum mood disorders in a little more detail?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are so many and I feel like, <laughs> you know, we could probably have like an hour long conversation just right. about that. But but in terms of kind of getting getting into this what I call like beginner's mind state of being really gentle with yourself and understanding that even if this is your second, third child, every pregnancy is different. Mm -hmm. Every birth is different. Mm -hmm. Every baby is different. Mm -hmm. And if you are in a partnered relationship, your relationship goes through different phases. And so being like coming from a place of curiosity really cuts through some of that shame that we have all internalized from, you know, the culture that we live in, that like, mm-hmm. we, we have to know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so just being aware of the fact that your friend might be telling you about, you know, the four births that they had, and how, like, they did it a certain way. And, and just know that this there's no sort of guideline about how things are going to turn out i'm sure even from your perspective like every birth that you see has lots of its own nuances and so just getting into a space of saying like i don't know i can't predict every single thing that's going to happen but i can sort of be compassionate with myself and know that i'm going to resource myself i'm going to advocate for myself And I'm going to come to this with a beginner's mind. So I don't put that sort of unnecessary pressure like I'm going to do it all the way that I have it planned out in my mind.
0: Yeah, for sure. I 100% something that I say over and over, anybody who's listened to the podcast or um, in my course, birth is an unpredictable process and we cannot predict exactly how things will go. And you have to be open and prepared for all of the possibilities. And although sometimes that can feel overwhelming, it actually doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, and, and although you can't see everything that may come your way, definitely having an open mind to the possibilities that if something comes your way, that it's not like a complete surprise Mm -hmm. for you. And you're like, not, not blindsided about when things don't go, um, a certain way. So definitely, definitely another great point for sure.
1: Yeah. I think that that's so great. And, and, you know, I think that going back to what we had talked about a little bit ago, like that's why the relationship is so important because when you're in it with someone else and you know, listen, like my provider can't tell me every single thing that could possibly happen. And that might feel really flooding if I learned about every single thing that could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Just the trust and knowing we've talked about, you know, enough of the possibilities where. My provider has an an understanding of what my preferences are and is going to make the best decision for me, uniquely for me.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Um, And that's why it's so important.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's shift gears then a bit and talk about some of the emotions that can come up postpartum. I know this is something I wasn't necessarily prepared for myself. Um, So what are some common emotions that folks experience postpartum?
1: Well, this surprises a lot of people, but ambivalence is one that is probably the thing that I hear the most and one of the feelings that I felt very deeply.
0: Um, You know, I just want to like pause for a second with the ambivalence, because I think that's, I want to make sure people understand what we're Saying by that, do you mean is it like you're not necessarily happy or excited or thrilled that you have this new human being? It may be just like I have this baby. What am I supposed to do? I don't necessarily feel connected to this new baby.
1: Well, that that is a feeling that people have, but I'm more talking about ambivalence in the sense of feeling sort of the duality of the experience. That there are some times where you do feel. Really elated, and sometimes you feel really lonely, and sometimes you feel like you really miss that identity that you had before becoming a parent. And just that sort of complexity of holding both feelings at the same time and not feeling totally anchored on one side of the fence or the other, sort of feeling that like ambivalent in between some days I feel like this some moments I feel like this and some moments I feel totally counter to that
0: and then also that and, and maybe we're going to get into this but uh understanding that that doesn't mean anything in terms of like your love for your child
1: oh my goodness like let's say that again <laughs> I that is just that it is such an important um aspect of understanding the sort of like the complexities of what becoming a parent actually means that you know you can feel all of these things and you can love your child and do anything for your child you can feel Really resentful sometimes of being a parent and having to take on all of that responsibility. And you can also say, I would never make a different choice. Or you can feel elated like much of the time and then have moments where you're just totally burnt out and feeling like, I love you and I need to hide in the bathroom for <laughs> a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, that this, the two are not um tied together in a way that I think you know we have a we have this sort of image of what it means to be a good mother or a good parent and sometimes that means not being a whole person with a whole spectrum of feelings yes and I think that that is like a really tricky place to have like hung our hat on because we really shame people. And we cut off a lot of conversation because people have received a message that like, if you, if you don't, if you're not happy all of the time, then there's something wrong.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and people just, yeah, people feel like they, they can't talk about it. And I'm going to tell y'all, listen, it, I, from my own personal experience, I love my children. They are 12 and 14 now, but sometimes you probably won't like them because they they do stuff that just, they're human beings too. And their relationship, you know, they're not like perfect. So it is totally normal. And I think the earlier we can normalize that you can love your children with every fiber of your being, but it doesn't, but sometimes again, like you said, you want to hide from them in the bathroom. That's okay. Like there's yeah. nothing there's nothing wrong with you because of that.
1: And, you know, this happens sort of developmentally, right? Like there's a, um, your, your children that are 12 and 14, my child who's seven, they need different things from us now than they did when they were infants. Mm-hmm. And so we go through our own developmental process alongside our children. And there are moments where... It is developmentally appropriate for us to not totally be in sync. Like as a parent and as the child, their brain is developing at a different pace. We are have a fully developed brain. Like we have the ability to sort of plan and see, you know, on the other side of the elephant, and they're still exploring that. And I think for a lot of parents, that becomes like a really tricky place um, to be able to accept, like, I'm not going to like all of my kids' decisions. I'm not going to like them all the time. They're going to talk to me. They're going to try things out with me because of their secure attachment to mm-hmm. me that they're not going to try out with their teachers. And <laughs> that makes my job a little harder. But I think it's also about, like, reframing what loving your kids means, that sometimes loving your kids means, like, having to make those hard decisions and like not always being in sync with what they want, but, you know, identifying that sometimes what they need is different than what they want. And that's, that's okay. Like they don't have to want the same things that you want all the time. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. So what are another, other couple common postpartum emotions that parents can experience?
1: Well, I think overstimulated is one mm. from a sort of mental and sensory um place and i'd love to sort of chat with you more about that sure but, but also you know feeling unsure feeling lonely like i mentioned um, sometimes feeling like elation in a way that they hadn't felt before like that sort of um chemical feeling between you and your child is sometimes surprising for people um But the overstimulated piece is a big one.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. What what do you mean by overstimulation?
1: So, you know, one thing that I have really noticed, and we've been talking a lot about at Loom is the sense of being overstimulated from a sort of sensory integration perspective. I, I don't know if you've, you know had these conversations in the past but a lot of postpartum people talk about how they feel so touched out or they're like constantly in this caregiving mode Mm -hmm. and their babies are on them all the time and then they have nothing left at the end of the day and if they're in partnered relationships what i see in a lot of couples is that you know one partner if they're working outside of the home they come home and they want to reconnect and some of that reconnection they need that in a physical way. And then the caregiver who's been home with the child all day feels like I want to lay in like a th- bathtub by myself and I don't want anyone to touch me. Right. And so this sense of being overstimulated because our senses are so highly activated during this postpartum period in a way that many of us have never experienced before. Um, and so that has been really surprising for folks. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot in our program about you know, what you can do from a sensory integration perspective during pregnancy and what you can try out postpartum. And when you think about your five senses, there's a lot that you can learn about your own sensory profile and what is actually regulating for your nervous system versus what's dysregulating for your nervous system. And making those like little tweaks in your home even have a big impact on just how you feel Mm -hmm. and being able to sort of meet your own need from, um, sensory perspective helps kind of combat that overstimulated kind of chronic touched out feeling that so many people have postpartum.
0: Gotcha. Do you think technology plays a role in that? And the fact that we carry around computers in our pockets all the time?
1: I do. And I think that, you know, this is always one of those moments where uh, I, I, I completely get it. I'm a victim of it myself. It's so seductive to just kind of scroll through your phone and you know never tolerate that kind of moment of boredom but i read an article and it's really like helped me um sort of find find some balance even though i don't love that term but just like being a little bit more mindful and saying like what am i picking this up for what am i going to do on it and does it need to be right now sometimes you're sort of like I need to FaceTime a friend because mm-hmm. I need that social interaction. And i that's going to fill me up in a way that's going to fuel me for the next four hours that I am alone with this baby. And that's an amazing thing. But then, you know, when you find yourself like every moment that you have just because your phone is right there feeling like I'm dissociating a little bit and I just need to be like out of this environment because sometimes parenting can feel boring, you know, sometimes it can feel really rote. And so, you know, just trying to understand like what that does to our nervous system to always be checking the phone or seeing what notification is coming in, um, can also feel really distracting and dysregulating.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, I like to say instead of balance, I like to use the word um integration. So how can oh, we love how, yeah, how can we integrate technology in our lives in a way that serves us best? Because it's a great tool for for, you know, for a lot of things, but it can definitely be used in a way that it's not healthy for you. So you definitely want to integrate it into your life in a way that serves you best. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I also think we're, and this is sort of a side note, um, I think we're in a a unique time where, like my husband and I have talked about this, like, we're, he and I, you know, we're raising, we're in a sense, we are raising ourselves in the sense of learning how to use technology and we're Mm -hmm. responsible for teaching our children the same thing. So, you know, so it's, it's, we're all sort of learning that together in a way that serves everyone. I could, I 100%, we've both been called out by our children. Like you tell us to get off of our devices mm-hmm. but look at you, you're on, you know, you're on yours. So it's just a unique time, I think in history where we're all kind of, figuring out how to make this work best for us.
1: And it's changing so rapidly, right? So mm-hmm. there, there are times, to- and I, the pandemic has definitely accelerated this, but yeah. you know, there are days where I remember when my son was in Zoom school, where it was like he was in front of a screen for eight hours and then I was still working and then my husband was still working and he then was on his iPad. And right. it was like, so counter to everything that we had experienced before around like limiting the screen time. But you know, we've all had to kind of shift and evolve and we're learning in real time, like what the implications are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, one thing I do want to talk about, and this is not necessarily emotion, could also fall into the um, realm of uh, disorders, but I, I have um, wanted to start talking more about postpartum anxiety because it's mm-hmm. something that I feel like I experienced, but even as an obstetrician, hadn't even really heard of. So, mm-hmm. what are you? What are your thoughts about postpartum anxiety?
1: Well, I think that we're in a really interesting time right now because the level of anxiety across the board, postpartum or not, has never been higher. Mm. Um, and you know, this is. This is one of those moments where we're really dealing with collective trauma. Yeah. And we know that stress, chronic stress and trauma really, you know, increases levels of anxiety. Um, So I will say that I I have not met a person in the last three years who, you know, wouldn't define themselves as anxious some of the time. Um, We, I think do a not so great job of identifying for folks like what does anxiety actually look like Mm -hmm. and when to start seeking out some support for it. And I think that part of that is that we have this term that gets thrown around, which is baby blues. And I'm sure, you know, that has been like a part of the dialogue, even Mm -hmm. with your patients and that there is a sense of like, baby blues clinically happens you know for the first 2 weeks and then anything beyond that is a disorder and so there is that kind of normalizing of like oh your hormones are fluctuating you're going to feel really bad for a period of time and then it's and then it's like a light switch and it's just going to click off and so people start to feel like well when that doesn't happen what's wrong with me And I think that there's a lot of masking, because when people feel like the anxiety is related to becoming a parent, they start to feel shame and guilt around that. And the truth of it is, is that if you are prone to anxiety, prior to having a child, you will likely be anxious postpartum, the hormone fluctuation, you know, obviously does its own thing neurobiologically, but then the responsibility shift, Mm -hmm. the lack of sleep, just like all of the common um, developmental shifts that happen in that first year of parenting can lead to a lot of anxiety and then adding to that feeling responsible for keeping a child safe and healthy keeping a child safe and healthy in a pandemic is its own anxiety point, and not knowing sort of what to do when dilemmas come up. And this is why, you know, practicing during pregnancy saying, I need to understand this better, or, you know, calling your practitioner in between appointments is so important because some of anxiety gets expressed with just feeling that, like, on edge, that sort of keyed up kind of feeling. And sometimes, you know, narrowing down, am I worried about something specific that if I just could get some peace of mind around it, I could really like relax my nervous system? Mm-hmm. Um, is like one form of anxiety. Another form of anxiety is just feeling chronically worried and stressed out and feeling. You know keyed up and so you know really being able to distinguish like what support do i need right now is it a call to the pediatrician am i sort of finding myself ruminating about you know a rash on my baby that everyone is telling me oh yeah that no that's just this or that But it's keeping me awake at night, and I'm not even getting enough sleep to begin with. Like, there are things that you could do to sort of help yourself, and that doesn't mean you have to, you know, go on medication. Right. For some people, they need to. But I think that just like broadening the conversation and saying there are going to be moments where you feel incredibly anxious as a parent. And sometimes that means that, you know, building a relationship with a therapist could be really helpful to just kind of talk through what those anxieties are. Sometimes that means talking to your partner. Sometimes that means seeking a psychiatrist. I think that there is like Just like there's a spectrum for everything, there's a spectrum for anxiety and really understanding that like it's important to recognize how it impacts your life. And no one other than you and maybe the person that you live with is going to have an accurate sense of what kind of an impact does this have on my life. So don't let someone else tell you, you know, a friend, um, in-law, a sister, like, Oh, you're just every parent's anxious. Well, maybe every parent is anxious, but if they're able to kind of tolerate it and feel settled and not overstimulated all the time, then that's one thing. But if you can't, then there are people and, you know, options out there.
0: Got it. Got it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy Into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Again, that's Dr. rankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So let's shift to some advice. What, if you had three pieces of, or three things or that you think really help pregnant folks the most um, for navigating the postpartum period, what, what would those things be? Or what would you want folks to know?
1: So, in our um, program, we have something called a collective care map. And it's almost like a worksheet that you can print out. And you can sit down either by yourself or if you're partnered with your partner and start to look at all of the things you can anticipate needing support around in postpartum. Mm -hmm. And I always recommend doing this prospectively. So, doing it when you're pregnant is perfect because. Um, you can actually like start thinking about who are the people that you would want to pull in. And some of the sort of prompts are when you're feeding the baby, who's feeding you, right? Mm -hmm. And how can you plan for that? And some of them are, you know, let's say you are in postpartum and you start to, you have a history of your sciatica acting up, who are you going to call? you know, does your partner have the number for a physical therapist? Are you interested in building a relationship with an acupuncturist? Does your partner have that phone number? Um, sometimes what comes up for people is just the fact that they, they feel most regulated in a house that is neat, who's going to help with making sure that your house stays neat, and kind of mapping that out feels like basic, but it's actually experience changing. Because then you get to really think, who am I going to want in my space, during a time where I'm feeling pretty vulnerable, like let's actually talk about the people in our life that could support us that we could count on, and that we would actually want here. And then having a having a really important conversation about visitors this is like the one thing that people don't think about. But that is actually like a huge tension point postpartum. Some days you are going to want to see five people, some days you're going to want to see no people. And so what is going to be the strategy around how you communicate to people if I have to text you half an hour before you're supposed to come over and say today is just not the day. And not have to feel guilty or apologize for it? Is that going to be your partner's job? Is that going to be your mom's job? Like, whose job is it going to be to kind of help manage and protect your sacred space? And then getting really, really, really rigorous around rest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, planning for rest, and what does that look like? I do not subscribe to the advice of sleep when the baby sleeps, because I don't think that that's possible. (laughs) I think that that is just like a pipe dream for a lot of people. For
0: most people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I do think that there is something, and our co-founder Erica says this a lot, which is like actively rest. So what can you do to actively rest? And how can you do that in a way that feels restorative, but also planned right so maybe your rest and and this is something that you could write down ahead of time like i am someone who likes to rest in a dark room with light music on and journal and to me that feels restorative and restful but i also don't want to be bothered so i want to do that with the door shut um and kind of start letting your community into your process and almost like sharing your preferences with them and saying, this is kind of what I've set up for myself. This is what my family needs. Are you on board for this? And know that like, it's going to evolve, you know, those needs will evolve, but planning them ahead of time is really crucial.
0: Yeah. I think this is really good because we often tell folks, you know, accept help and ask for help, but it sounds like this provides kind of a roadmap. So you can ask for exactly the help that you need. Like, Mm -hmm. can you bring, can you bring me a couple of meals? So, cause I don't want to have to worry about cooking or Mm -hmm. would you mind coming over and just folding some laundry because, you know, I, I can't do this right now. So it just helps you to focus on the things that you really need really need help with. And then as far as a care team, like I always say to folks, I have the number for a lactation consultant on like
1: mm-hmm. standby
0: and ready. Maybe you want a postpartum doula. Maybe that might be something that you'd be interested in and want to look into. Um, so it sounds like you're just helping folks to have a structured approach that they can use during pregnancy to get ready for those things afterwards.
1: Absolutely. And like letting people into your unique experience. So to say to them, I am someone who's really um, stressed out. When I see my house a mess, I know that I'm not going to be able to tidy up as much as I want. So when you come over, would you spend the first 10 minutes kind of getting the house in order before we visit and that's like a huge disclosure. I mean, it's so basic, right? But we don't often know that about our friends. Mm -hmm. And unless someone tells you explicitly, then people will come over and just kind of plop down next to you and act like guests. And so, you know, I always say, like, think about postpartum visitors as part of your support team. Do you need your support team to just like, come over and be a guest or do you need your support team to chip in and then be able to emotionally connect with you? And people want to help. Like the the majority of the time when given a task and being really explicit, people are totally on board.
0: Absolutely. And I'll also say, uh, don't feel uh, guilty, I guess I would say, in the sense that you know that people, yes, people want to come see the baby. But really, this time, especially in those first few weeks postpartum, is about you Mm -hmm. forming your relationship with your new child. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be the focus. So it's okay if you tell your visitors to come over and quick peek at the baby, but can you please go wash the bottles? Or can Mm -hmm. you please go, you know, do other things? Don't, you're not being selfish if you're saying like, I, I need you to help me so I can spend time with the baby, not that you spend time with the baby. And it's fine if you want other people to spend time. I'm not saying don't let people do that, but you don't, it's it's totally fine to, to give other people things to do other than like holding the baby or changing the baby. You can stay with your baby and let them do other things.
1: Yes. I mean, that's such a good thing to remember. And also, you know, I, it, for some reason it made me think of, we were just running a postpartum group and one of the people on the call were saying that she, this is her second baby. And with her first baby, the only thing that she remembers, like the kindest visitor that she had was a friend who Every time she came over, she walked the dog mm. for this postpartum mom. And she was like, I, I don't remember what it felt like with a lot of other people, but that was like such a little thing that went such a long way. Like she walked in the door, leashed the dog and took the dog out on a walk every single time she came over. And it was like one less thing for me to do a dog that wasn't like running around in between my legs. Like just those little tiny nuances make such a big difference for people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit, tell us about what is loom and what are the resources that loom has to offer?
1: Sure. So we're a digital platform that um, provides on demand education for all things related to sexual and reproductive well being. Um, the first two programs we launched with are pregnancy and postpartum, um, but we are developing education beyond that. And, um, you know, right now we have an online program, uh, pregnancy and postpartum, that has on demand. So, you know, watch whenever you want video classes, as well as audio conversations and written text guides. And then um, anyone who purchases a class also gets access to gather, which is our educational support group for folks who are pregnant or postpartum. And the, the groups are topic based and happen every month throughout the month.
0: Nice, nice, nice. And, um, uh, we can say at the end what all of those links are. Uh, and as we wrap up, I have just a couple last sort of rapid fire ish questions. So what is the most, what is the most frustrating part of your work?
1: Oh, I mean, right now, just how much misinformation there is out there. And, um, Just how much shame and stigma there is about what the emotional experience looks like postpartum and um, having to kind of help people unlearn some of that when they get to us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody with an internet connection now is on, (laughs) can be online and saying stuff. And so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of misinformation. So then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work?
1: Um really building education that's accessible and evidence based as well as practice informed. I think that that's like, so key for us that, you know, we know that women have been understudied. And so research is not always going to be caught up with what people's needs are. And so really having um, practitioners that we consult with, um, and being practitioners creating the content to be really practice informed.
0: Got it. Got it. And then what is your favorite piece of advice that you would give to expectant families?
1: Um, I mean, I would sort of echo what you were saying. I, I say, ask for help early and often. That's like my mantra. Mm-hmm. Ask for help early and often. If you haven't asked for help every single day, you should. There's always someone that can support you. We've got to like turn this individualistic mentality around and start letting people into our experience um and that just kind of models for other people in our community that we are not doing this alone and then that models for our children they don't they have a community they don't have to do this alone
0: absolutely yep Yep. 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 So where can people find you? I know that, you know, guys listening, like I, obviously I provide online resources, but I'm not the only one there's, there's, and I say that to say that, you know, this should be a collaborative effort. We all have different ways that we approach things. Some things may resonate with one person over another. We're all in this space because we want to serve pregnant people. And so I am happy to, to um, for you to share any of the resources or things that you have, you know, with more collaboration and not competition. There's like yeah. mil- millions of people <laughs> who have a baby every year. I think there's space for lots of different folks.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So where can people find you?
1: They can find us on Instagram and our handle is loom HQ. So L O O M H Q. And then our site is LoomHQ.com. HQ.com.
0: And uh, thank you for that. And we'll link that in the show notes. And guys, the founder uh, of loom, Erica, uh, please pronounce, is it Chidi? Is that how you say her last Chidi. name? Mm-hmm. Chidi. Yes. She's um, quite an inspiration in terms of the things that she's done with this, this company and um, getting, funding and, um, really, uh, 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 inspirational story. So I'm, um, uh, want to say that I really enjoy, enjoy her and her, uh, her work as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. She's honestly an inspiration to all of us too. And every single person working at loom is there because of her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. This was a great conversation and I know folks will find it helpful.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Wasn't that a great episode? I really enjoyed chatting with her. That was some really, really great and useful information. There's so much of these things that I wish I personally would have known when I was having children back in the day. All right. Now, you know, after every episode where I have a guest on, I'll do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top three or four takeaways from the conversation. Here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes with my conversation with Nicole McCalka. Number one, I really loved what she said. I want to reiterate the part about practice getting information about what's to come. I mentioned when I said that doctors are not always great about giving you some of that anticipatory information and guidance as far as what to come, especially about the postpartum period. Unfortunately, there's a lot of emphasis on the pregnancy, the labor and the birth, and not nearly enough emphasis on the postpartum period. So definitely practice asking, like I'd love to get prepared for some things that are to come. Now inside the birth preparation course, I do have a whole section on getting ready for the postpartum period, What to expect with physical recovery, emotional changes, things to help you be prepared, especially for those first six weeks. So do check out all the details in the birth preparation course, drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, number two, I loved how she talked about building trust and one of the pieces of that is talking about your preferences ahead of time and this is where a well thought out birth plan can go a long way one of the biggest mistakes that i see people make about a birth plan is that it's about downloading a template or form that they found online and then presenting that when they go to the hospital just handing folks this piece of paper If that is what you do, then you are entirely too late and behind the game in terms of actually having those wishes, what's in the birth plan, uh, making sure that that's going to be respected and listened to. Making a birth plan should really be a process that happens in the prenatal period, not just when you get to the hospital, where you understand that the doctor, the nurses, the hospital are going to support what is in your actual birth plan, that they're actually going to support your wishes. wishes. And that's a process. It's way more than a piece of paper. And that's what I teach in my class, make a birth plan the right way. So you can check out that class also at drnicolerenkins.com forward slash register. All right, And the last thing I want to say is reiterate that sometimes you just may not like being a mother. Okay. Sometimes you also may get really frustrated with your children and that is okay. It doesn't mean that you love them any less. Uh, another thing I'll add, sometimes you may not like being pregnant. I never particularly enjoyed being pregnant. All of that is okay. It doesn't mean you love your children any less, that you're not any less, you know, happy or thrilled or ecstatic. That is just a normal part of being a human being. All right. So there you have it. Do me a favor. Share the podcast with a friend. Also subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to me right now. And i love it if you leave a review in Apple Podcast and let me know what you think. Do just head to my website and check out all of the resources that I have for you about pregnancy and birth. I have free guides and things you can download, guide to pain management and labor, um, meditation guide, the birth plan class, the birth preparation course, tons of resources there. My website is drnicolerankins.com. All right, so that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth.